God is God of the living. God is God of the living, not of the dead, Jesus says right here. God is concerned with what's happening right here, right now. It's easy for us to get sidetracked by this text because that's exactly what the Sadducees are trying to do. They're trying to sidetrack Jesus. Their intent is to put Him in a corner and to embarrass Him and even discredit Him. They've made regular efforts to do so. Tell us by what authority you're doing these things, they asked Him. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to the emperor or not? Or in this case, when it comes to the resurrection that you speak of, who, Jesus, will this wife be long to? Will the woman be married to whom when she finally dies? In most cases, Jesus doesn't even answer. He knows what they're up to, and he usually turns the question around on them. But in this case, he does respond. And it's if he's saying to them, you're asking the wrong question. The Sadducees are concerned about what Jesus had been saying about the resurrection because they didn't believe in it. They want to prove him wrong. So they come up with this elaborate scheme to show how ludicrous it would be to come back from the dead. And they try through their own logic to show how illogical Jesus is being. In the process, they make some pretty big assumptions. They assume that they know what the resurrected life will be like. They assume that to be raised from the dead or to know eternal life will carry with it similar obligations and commitments and similar relationships and understandings, even if they are culturally biased and even discriminatory. Jesus sees right through their motivations and their limited understanding. And rather than seek to embarrass them in turn, he exercises patience and he offers them an explanation. He says, those who belong to this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy of a place in that age and in the resurrection from the dead neither marry or are given in marriage. Indeed, they cannot die anymore, he says because they are like angels and are children of God, being children of the resurrection. Now, I don't want to pretend to fully know what that means any more than the Sadducees pretended to know what it meant. Jesus' remarks are unconventional and not altogether understandable. What does it mean to say that they are like angels or that they are children of the resurrection? But nonetheless, his response seemed to satisfy the Sadducees, at least for the moment. We're told that they left him alone, that they didn't ask any more questions. Jesus' explanation pointed to the mystery of God's ways, which are always beyond our full and complete understanding. They require faith. At some point, we simply have to trust in God. Several years ago, I was sitting at the table, the kitchen table, with Eloise Gilliland and her daughter, Sally, who is my age. Eloise and her husband, Howard, were members of the church that I was serving at the time. And Howard, then in his late 70s, was out mowing the lawn earlier that day. It was a hot summer day. And he took a break and sat down on the front porch 
on a bench there, and he died. At one point, as we were talking, Eloise, still in shock, said, I've always thought that when I die, I will be with those that I've known before, with my family and my friends, and with Howard again. That I'll see them and that they will know me and will simply pick up where we left off. And she said, I'm not so sure that's right. What do you think? And she looked at me. And at that moment, I remember wondering what to say. Do I simply affirm her and say, yes, you'll see Howard and your mom and your dad. It'll be just like it was. I don't necessarily believe that myself. Or do I want to believe it necessarily? There are some people in my family I'm not sure I want to see. (laughs) I'm not sure how heavenly that would be. But this scripture tends, it, it, it emphasizes that it's not necessarily going to be the way we think it's going to be, right? All this is going through my mind when finally Sally speaks up before I had to try to answer her question. And I'll never forget what she said. She said, Mom you won't be disappointed. And I thought, that is a heavenly answer right there. Mom, you won't be disappointed. That statement leaves spaciousness for whatever is next to be even more than we can hope for or even imagine. Rami Shapiro says, tell me of your understanding of God and I'll tell you that God is always beyond your understanding. In a way, that's what Jesus is saying to the Sadducees. You're putting God in a box that's too small. You ask me whose wife she will be, but you're missing the point entirely. What God is capable of is so much more than what we know now, or what we're thinking in terms of how our lives are organized and oriented in this moment. God intends for more for us, and God will not disappoint us. In our text, Jesus' statement that God is God of the living, not of the dead, is a statement like Sally's, you won't be disappointed. It sets aside the argument of the Sadducees and instead focuses on the possibilities of life with God or the possibilities of God, God's life with us. God is God and has amazing things in store. And that has implications for right now. Implications that if we're not careful, we will miss if we're too preoccupied with worrying about tomorrow or the future or a life in some other realm entirely out of our hands. Many Christians, as you know, are notorious for emphasizing the future above the present Eternal salvation and getting into heaven are their preoccupation. Who's in and who is out are the only questions they're asking. Negating somehow that we're all in it together right now and that God is God of the living. Putting the emphasis back on this time and this place. Pastor and writer Brian McLaren warns against this, saying that the gospel is not meant to be an evacuation plan for the next life as so many make it out to be. Such disembodied theology becomes a carrot on a stick. We miss the point when we make the gospel out to be a decision for Jesus that will pay off in some future time. 
When we separate the gospel from our day-to-day lives, salvation becomes a matter of hoping for some form of delayed gratification. Salvation isn't simply some distant realization. It's about providing a salve that tends to the wounds of this life. It's about healing what's broken right now. We desperately need healing for groups and institutions, marriages, the wounds of war, the pains of abuse, the inequities of race, and the endless social problems in which we're drowning today. Salvation mustn't be dismembered from the realities of life here and now. When it is, we've lost the heart of the gospel, which is the mystery of incarnation, the joining together of spirit and matter, Jesus' life and his death were and are about the coexistence of the physical and the spiritual. It's about valuing all of it. You, me, this place, this city. To say that God is God of the living is to say that God cares about this. That God cares about what happens in the streets of Richmond. That God cares about all of us regardless of the color of our skin. That God cares about feeding hungry bellies and educating every child. And about everyone having a roof over their heads and gainful employment and a way to get to work and affordable health care and more. God is concerned with right now, this present circumstance, our current lives. And not just ours, but everyone's life all around us. That isn't to say that God doesn't care about the future or about what happens after this life. God is caring about that too. So we don't have to. Remember, faith assures us that we won't be disappointed. As a result, we're free to focus on what's before us. God is in the business of healing right now and wants us to be participants in that work. Seek the healing of the city to which I sent you, is how we say it here at Richmond Hill. God is God of the living, not of the dead. May our lives and our ministry and our commitments to serve this city reflect that. Amen.